0: Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading chapter 24 of the Blood Magic series, The Rowan Grove. June 4th, 2008. It was early morning with a fine mist still clinging to the trunks of ancient elm trees and gnarled oaks, moss carpeting the plants and stones that jutted out from the nearly black soil ferns unrolling lazily in the warming air. Harry could hear a stream in the distance, cutting across the new growth of summer, snaking around the miles of untouched wilderness. He breathed in the smell of wet soil and leaves, running his hand across the deeply furrowed bark of an impressive white elm, its roots covered in wood sorrel and violets, their purple and white flowers carpeting the path at Harry's feet, He was smiling to himself, full of the gentle quiet of the forest in summer. He let his hand drag along the tops of ferns as he continued on, the sound of a rushing stream growing louder and the path dipping down and disappearing into the river bank below. Alder trees hung their branches across the steadily flowing brook. A willow in the distance trailed its leaves in the water below. Stones of the riverbed formed a natural bridge and sequestered little pools at the edges where eddies circled, the water dark with tannin. He had come here often since he had started exploring the area around the cabin, and he picked his way across easily, his old trainers gripping the stones as he jumped from one to the next, his jeans rolled up around his ankles. He disturbed a river otter on his way up the opposite bank, who loped and shuffled her way lazily into the refuge of the stream, circling and diving with grace and ease. "'Hi, Alice,' Harry greeted her as he summited the small rocky outcropping. He turned and saw her flip onto her back, gnawing on something clutched between her claws. Harry huffed out a laugh and disappeared into the grove of rowans to the west, bluebells shedding the dew they had collected as he brushed past." The Rowan Grove had quickly become his favourite spot to sit and think. A place of such gentle quiet, Harry could easily slip beneath the branches of his usual tree and pass hours reading and whittling away fallen branches into tiny woodland creatures. He had found the small knife and the meagre supply of tools at the cabin, and he had pocketed it for protection the first day he had ventured out alone. Once he realized that nothing in the forest seemed to care much about him at all, he brought it out to shape little bits of wood into the creatures he met along the way. His first attempt had been one of the river otters by the stream, but it hadn't been much more than a round oval with four different length legs and a misshapen head. Carving had taken far more patience and skill than he had first anticipated, but he liked the challenge, and it kept his mind busy especially when he couldn't do magic. The little otter had reminded him of Hermione, images of her playful Patronus bubbling up from the past, the only spell she had really ever struggled to cast. He tried not to think of her and Ron and Rose too often. The owls had stopped coming so regularly, and Harry still hadn't gotten the courage up to accept one of the letters. He was making so much progress, and he was so relieved to be away from the world outside the forest. He wasn't sure he could open that door, not yet, anyway. Harry stretched his legs out in front of him, leaning back against the old Rowan and contemplating the small glade ahead of him. It was full of tall grasses and foxgloves in full bloom, their bright rows of bell-like flowers housing the busy grumblings of a bumblebee. Harry had gotten overwhelmed with the buzzing the first day he had come, his heart going fast and his focus bleeding away into a haze of craving and tightening around his upper back. But he had stood there, slowly stretching himself right, swallowing down the feelings, focusing on the idea that, like making tea, he could do this, and it would be all right. And, eventually, it was... Today was much the same as the days before, however, and Harry had come to like and appreciate the tireless ethic of the rather large and ungainly insect, bustling between the many blooms, pollen coating its black backside. He reached into a satchel he had been borrowing from Malfoy and pulled out one of the books on dark magic that Narcissa had sent. Rites for the pureblood household was thick and the green leather binding with silver filigree was worn, the pages well turned, Harry had taken a liking to leafing through the many unusual books that Malfoy had procured, and he took particular interest in reading about spells, potions, and rituals that made his days in defense against the dark arts look like child's play. He had gained more of an understanding about Malfoy this way, too. Growing up in a household where this was a family pastime, it couldn't have been healthy. Of course, growing up with the Dursleys hadn't been nurturing and loving either, but They were so incredibly blatant about their hatred of him and their preference for their own son, it had been easy to know what they were doing was wrong, immoral. To be raised in a household where such nasty things were cloaked in affection and love and care and preference, to be bound by ideas of honour and family and fidelity and loyalty, it was poisonous, insidious and vile. He had told himself he took the books out to learn more about the dark arts, but what he really wanted was to help Malfoy with his research in some way. He hadn't let him come to go sit with the unicorn herds, but Harry had wanted to be useful nonetheless, and they both knew it wouldn't be with the potion side of things. His work was important. Harry believed it would help many people, and he wanted Malfoy to succeed in it. Harry flipped through a section on taking unwilling pureblood brides captive and bonding them in servitude of their new households, and he wrinkled his nose. The section on ensuring a fulfilling wedding night and conception of an heir was particularly nauseating. He shut the book after a gruesome passage on incantations to force a person to open themselves up to your advances, to encourage compliance and feign enjoyment. How did this not qualify as unforgivable? Harry bit down on the anger boiling up in him. He had been struck by the thought that maybe Malfoy had these things done to him. Harry stuffed the offensive text back into the satchel and leaned his head back, looking up through the canopy of leafy green to the bright blue of the sky beyond, focusing on relaxing his hands and then his arms. His shoulders were last, and by the time he had managed to let the tension fade away, he was confronted with the fact that he cared about Malfoy. He was a good person, a friend, and he didn't deserve the things that had happened or the prejudice he had been gifted after the war. He was just trying to survive, just as Harry had been. The sun was rising higher and warming the forest reaching deep down even to the shady spots beneath the trees, covered in lichen and mosses. Everything was calm and beautiful and still, and he felt decidedly comfortable, comforted even. Maybe this is what he had been seeking, all those nights desperate for a reprieve from his own life. This was healing too, in a new way, a way that didn't leave him with the empty, sour burning of guilt, and the metallic ring of shame. No, this was good. Harry reached in his pocket to feel the familiar holly of his wand, his thumb tracing a favorite groove. He felt soft pulling and tingling of magic beneath his hand, a feeling that had been steadily growing stronger and more sure since the night he had managed to cast Lumos. He hadn't succeeded in any more spells, but... He didn't feel like rushing the process either. It would come back. He had to do the work first, though. He was comforted by the fact that all of his anger had been his own and hadn't escaped in magic, hadn't boiled over into something uncontrollable and flighty as it had before. Harry picked up a thick piece of branch that had fallen not long before in one of the storms of spring. He broke a piece free and ran his hands over the light and supple wood. He pulled the little knife from his pocket and began pulling it across the thin layer of bark, exposing the pretty blonde grain beneath. Harry smiled to himself. The color was eerily close to Malfoy's nearly white hair. He decided right then he would make him something, something small, just to show his gratitude. He wasn't helping much with the unicorn problem, so... This would have to do. He spent the next few hours pulling the blade across the wood and imagining what the chunky bit of branch might yield. His hands were sore and blisters were forming and he'd nicked two fingers already but it was soothing and carefree there in his circle of Rowan's and the time passed easily. He pushed his dark hair from his forehead it having grown completely wild and utterly untamable in the months since he had come to live in Tenebrous Hollow. He let his thoughts drift as he looked out across the small glen, the rowan trees circling the foxgloves and the flycatchers and the pipets chattering at each other from their various vantages. He caught sight of a red deer emerging from the opposite edge of the forest, its coat lightly dappled and blending into the shade and shadows of the forest underbrush. It was a doe, her movements soft and careful as she skirted the open areas of high grass. Harry didn't move, and he watched her lift her graceful neck and scent the air, no doubt scanning the area for hidden dangers. She was beautiful and delicate, and he admired her for several minutes, not wanting to move and frighten her off. He couldn't not think of his mother, Lily, or of Snape, Of all the animals and creatures that a Patronus could manifest as, Harry would have never, ever associated Snape with the gentle forest grazer before him. It was hard to imagine him as someone cautious and soft, but then he hadn't ever known the real Severus Snape, had he? He had known the anger and bitterness of someone who had sacrificed themselves for something he believed in, for love and the spiteful hatred that had followed. In the distance, Harry heard the low call of a stag and the red doe trotted off to the south. It was a few nights later when Harry lay staring at the now familiar rafters and hanging herbs, his sheets kicked from his sweaty legs in the sticky summer air. He had just woken from a dream, one he was desperately trying to cling to, to analyze, to make sense of. It was sixth year again, and he had been following Malfoy in the dead of night, tailing him with the Marauder's Map, hidden beneath the invisibility cloak. The familiar rush of excitement and enthusiasm for the chase had led him out of the castle and down to the edge of the Forbidden Forest. Malfoy hadn't looked back as he strode across the lawn and into the trees, his robes sweeping around his long legs and his blonde hair easily visible as Harry followed. He had caught up to him, standing just past where the trees had thinned, moonflowers blooming big on vines that snaked up the towering trunks of silver birches, their blue and yellow flowers drinking in the reflected light. Malfoy was standing in the middle of the clearing, his head low and his shoulders slack, as if the weight of his arms alone was too much for them to carry. He looked soft and gentle, but it was sixth year, and Harry knew in his gut he was scared and surrounded by decisions he wanted nothing to do with. Harry pulled the invisibility cloak from around his shoulders and stepped towards Malfoy. He wanted him to know he knew. He knew about the threats to his family, about his obligations, about the torture, the pain, and fear. He wanted Malfoy to know he understood and that he was safe to talk to, that he could help. He was safe. Harry stepped up behind him, sliding his hands around his sides and up onto his chest, pulling him back softly as he lay his forehead against the back of soft blonde hair, his lips against the back of his neck. Iridescent beetles with blue lights on the ends of antennae took flight from the grass around them, skittering away from the two figures. Draco, he whispered against the pale skin, his voice breaking the stillness of the forest, shimmers of magic rippling away from them. Beneath his hands, he felt the steady beat of his heart, felt his chest rising and falling with even breaths. He smelled of soft lavender and mint, and his pale hands came up to his chest, covering Harry's. They stood together, Draco leaning back against Harry's chest and Harry holding them both steady. The hooting of an owl had broken through from Tenevers Hollow and into the dream, and before Harry had realized what was happening, he was awake, laying in his bed, contemplating what this dream could mean. It had stirred feelings in him he hadn't felt in, well, since before the war. It was confusing, but full of tenderness and hope, and Harry had loved it.
1: are three points I want to talk about with this chapter. Maybe four. Why are you so excited? (laughs) Am I not supposed to be excited? I guess. I'm very excited. Okay, go. Okay. So the first one that I want to talk about is the bee imagery. Mm -hmm. And then I want to talk about um, Harry's recognition of Malfoy's childhood. Mm -hmm. And then I want to talk about dreams. Okay. Which become a recurring theme.
0: Okay. So the bees. The bees. What do you want to know about
1: them? Like... I find them such a fascinating imagery because obviously it's something that started off in such a distressed context. Yeah. And now it's turning into, well, it's just like a a huge difference. Yeah. In how he recognizes them.
0: Well, we've used bee and buzzing imagery Mm. repeatedly throughout the story. And I think it goes from Harry's like sort of fantasy around honey Mm. and bees building honey and like Mm. creating a hive and that like, you know, sense of being overwhelmed. Mm. And then the buzzing that Draco experiences during a panic attack, Mm -hmm. we've also alluded to the sense of like sensory overload. Yeah. But when he's sitting in the Rowan Grove, he's almost like he's engaging with his surroundings while, you know, like observing this Thing that could drag him down, but mm. he doesn't. He stays in the moment. He yeah. stays observant. He stays engaged with, mm. you know, the scene before him. Yeah. I mean, he's incredibly observant in the scene and, mm. and he's very in tune with what's going on around him. Yeah, definitely. So it is quite a drastic mm. change. And, I mean, I sort of wanted to write this, like, small moment of, like, you know, he he has these... Images and sensations that keep wanting to pull him back. Yeah. And he's sort of constantly confronted with, how do I maintain going forward? Yeah. You know, how do I make this something else than what I know it as currently? Yeah, definitely. And we almost never see him engaging in, like, the natural world. Mm. I mean, aside from camping, which is, like, yeah. this horrendous seventh-year yes nightmare, mm. which has no positivity linked to it at all. Um, we don't see him sort of, like, aside from,
1: like, flying in yeah. the air. You know, just, like, being within the natural world. Yeah, I mean, all of his forays into the Forbidden Forest, none of them are really great. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I can't say that they're... They're so um, caught up in other things that it's not just him, like, getting a moment of peace in -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to play with this idea that, like, he can just be in the forest. Mm -hmm. And, like, the forest is this dynamic... Mm -hmm. Thing that exists living and breathing around mm-hmm. him, yeah, and it doesn't have to be something he constantly is transported back yeah. into his like mm-hmm. maladaptive coping Definitely. of the days before
1: well, I mean, even just this idea that he took a knife with him for protection. When he couldn't do magic, mm. I mean, even that like initial like shit, gotta have my wits about me. Yeah,
0: I must be stressed. I'm <laughs> yeah. under threat, mm-hmm. and then he realizes that there's nothing really out there mm-hmm. that's interested. There's an in otter
1: him. and some bees and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Flowers. you're your own worst enemy, buddy. <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: I think we very yeah. much played with that idea is that mm. you are your own worst enemy. Yeah, absolutely. And not um, not to say that that's unfounded. Mm. In during canon, he very much is hunted and yeah. has to be hyper vigilant. Yeah um but in that well that's sort of like one of the key characteristics mm, mm. of PTSD is that hypervigilance doesn't go away. Yeah. Um but in this you can actually see he is stepping back. Yeah. and able to think of the knife as now his wood carving knife yeah, instead definitely. of like
1: got to protect myself. Yeah, exactly. I find it interesting like the concept of being present. And it's like such a pillar of like recovery in all of its forms, like learning how to take a step back and recognize what's going on. Not only like in yourself, but like your immediate surroundings to like stay in the moment. Well,
0: the thing is about being present is in order to be present, you have to be comfortable with being in your own skin and being Mm -hmm. yourself, being Mm -hmm. you in your context. And if your context is horrendous fear and anxiety, overwhelming sensations, pain, Mm -hmm it's very difficult to be present yeah. because that is just misery. You have to, that's what the escapism function is, is yeah. a way to get away from that.
1: Definitely.
0: So like this, this idea of being able to sit and exist and be present mm. and just be in your environment. Yeah. It's actually a big part of like understanding that it's okay to just be in your skin. Yeah.
1: Like you are okay as you are where you are. Yeah. Or, and taking it one step at a time. And in
0: different forms of recovery, that, that sort of manifests as different things. Like, if you think about PTSD, you're okay as you are. There's no immediate threat of danger. Mm-hmm. You're, you are okay. You're beyond whatever was traumatizing. Yeah. Unless it's CPTSD. But,
1: yeah. Yeah. Layers. Yeah,
0: <laughs> layers. Um, or that, like, you know, in addiction recovery, it's you are okay. You don't need to escape this moment. Yeah. The feelings that you have are temporary. Are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not going to overwhelm you because mm-hmm. you are capable of dealing with them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's good stuff. <laughs> that is good stuff. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's what I tried to write into yeah. the scene. But also I just wanted to talk about trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These like <I> love that. <laughs> great symbols of stoicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know like living, breathing, growing things that are on a timeline that is so foreign to humans. Yeah. Completely. Yeah, and who, who exhibit this, like, incredible stillness and, like, peace mm. that we so often struggle so much to find. Yeah,
1: definitely. I love the old-growth forests.
0: Mm. Yeah, and there have been really interesting studies on old-growth mm. forests and how they affect the human being and, like, human being psychology. Mm. Because, you know, I think it was a Japanese study that was done quite a while ago that showed that you know, walking in an old growth forest for 10, 15 minutes lowers your systolic blood pressure. So it has a significant impact on a measurable uh, physiological change yeah. in human beings that is often reflective of things like stress. Mm. Um, so, and they've, they've you know, tried to link it to some of the aromatic hydrocarbons that yeah. old growth forests release that you don't find in newer growth yeah. forests. Um, and then there's other like amazing things like in an old growth forest, if you chop down one of the old trees in yeah. an old growth forest, the trees that are around it, completely unrelated, can be different species, yeah. use their root systems to funnel nutrients to the trunk of that tree and then continue having it survive.
1: Oh, my heart.
0: <laughs> so they do create like even communities mm. or like they have a sense of of um, like altruism yeah which is something that you know until very very recently we thought was a human being only phenomenon
1: yeah well I mean there's this like pervasive idea in the natural world that it's like survival of the fittest
0: oh completely and why would you ever give up nutrients yeah you know like if something's mm. dead it's dead you're now yeah. taking the space
1: I mean like what a wonderful metaphor of like abundance and community yes even by yourself yes in the wilderness yes oh god <laughs> I love it <laughs> we have a lot of feelings about the forest. so many feelings <laughs> Yeah. overwhelming feelings <laughs> yeah and there's
0: something like very amazing about being able to just exist in a forest that's you know yeah hundreds and hundreds of years old and sort yeah. of persists on and on without a th- single thought of you yeah
1: and you are on the timeline that is just like a blip in their existence mm. you know yeah i mean we have trees near us that are hundreds and hundreds of years old oh, yeah. that are just colossal and you go and see them and you're like holy shit <laughs> Yeah, they're really... my life is kind of meaningless. And... <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, or like h- how incredible that like one moment with a human and they could cut it down. Yeah, and make oh, it into something well, that's else. Fucking
1: depressing. Well, it's the <laughs> truth, though. I mean, I mean, that's what happened in forests all over the world. These completely, forests. Humans went in and devastated large portions of the forest.
0: Yeah, and this is a concept we get into much later mm. in part three mm. because we start talking about like. You know, so forests, we imagine them to have their own inherent magic to Mm. them or that the natural world itself has inherent magic. Mm. Um, It's just that we, we as human beings struggle to understand it, struggle to see it, struggle to relate to it. Like Mm. we've lost so much of that like connectedness to Mm. it. So we have very little ability to like even witness it. Yeah. So we talk sort of about that and what old growth forests mean in the magical world.
1: Yeah. And in our own world. <laughs> well, yeah. We are obviously very attached to them. Yeah. So, And we're lucky enough to live in one. Yeah, I know. We're incredibly lucky. Yeah. Absolutely so our, our
0: forest cottage is on the edge of a major forest preserve, mm. which is one of the largest sections of old-growth forests that we have mm. in our whole
1: region. So, yeah. in this whole half of the continent.
0: Well, Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool <laughs> no it's it's pretty great, yeah it's um, really nice
0: it's it's really something beautiful, it's very lucky. someday we'll post like a video of just mm. like sitting in the forest what yeah. it's like
1: mm. so then the second thing I wanted to bring up was Harry having more self awareness or like recognition of what it must have been like to grow up as Draco,
0: yeah, a little empathy building, yeah, because yeah. I mean, I I really liked writing that part, too, because he has this moment of looking at something and being like, oh, how disgusting. And then, like, thinking about the context. Mm -hmm. Why is this book in his hand? Yeah. It was a household item of Draco's that
1: he grew up... Yeah, that his mother sent him. Yeah, exactly. Like, very blasé.
0: Yeah, just check this one. It's like, you know, the old rights of a pure-blood household. Everybody's got it. Yeah, exactly. It's like the almanac. It's
1: like the the phone book. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Just, oh, and how terrifying. Mm. And um, just the idea that, like, magic is so powerful. Yeah. And that it can be used in such nefarious and... Mm. Oh, it's sort of that, like, old saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like, if you have so much control over someone, you can... You can do so much. Yeah. And this is actually a a topic that we discuss much more in the Wolfstar fic from Sirius's perspective, because obviously he's coming from a family that very much Mm.
1: has relied on that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, And uh, what was it? The idea that Harry grew up in this very specific family, but knew from early on how wrong and bad it was. Oh, Yeah. And understanding it was why, why it took Draco so long to realize how fucked up things were. Because when you cloak things in, you know, affection. But, but and, I care about you. Yeah, exactly. You know, but it's for your own good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like going back to this this idea of like parents can love their children, but is that enough?
0: Yeah. I actually wrote that thinking a lot about my parents versus yeah. your parents. Mm. So my parents were very, very clear about how they felt about their children. Yeah. Which was very negatively. Yeah. Whereas I feel like your parents really tried to sell how much they love and care and how yeah. hard they're trying, but in yeah. in reality it didn't translate to yeah. love. Yeah, or, exactly. You know, Stability care. or yeah. yeah,
1: anything. It um, still didn't
0: foster something that meant that you yeah. were, you know, felt loved and cared for. Yeah,
1: definitely. If anything, it just like took it took me way longer to notice <laughs> to disentangle the bullshit. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. definitely. And there's a lot of guilt wrapped up in yeah, that too. absolutely. So I
1: think that just follows
0: along the sort of parallel that we've been drawing yeah. between the two of them and their family dynamics. Mm,
1: yeah, definitely. Harry feels no guilt <laughs> for piecing out because oh, the Dursleys were so obviously horrible and Draco is nothing but guilt.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's, yeah. but that's like the manipulative power of yeah. telling someone, but I love you and I care about you yeah. so much.
1: And look what I've done for you, and mm. I've sacrificed I've done so my much best. for you. Yeah,
0: I've done yeah. my best. Is a is another one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then the recurrent theme of dreams kind of starts now in the forest.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, we've seen them a little bit, like sort of just playing with the idea of dreams. We really start to build on like the subconscious versus conscious i mean the mm. subconscious can be telling you things that you're not able to think about yet mm. or you're not you're not um in a place where you feel like your conscious forebrain can can yeah. logic through it and handle it mm. but dreams can come through and say You know, I'm sure we've all had this experience where, like, you have a dream about something and you're like, oh, I had not thought about it that way. Yeah. Oh,
1: God. Is that what that means? (laughs) That's
0: too real. (laughs) Yeah, right? Wait, I'm not ready for that. Hold on. I'll get back to you in, like, two months Mm -hmm. or three months or never. (laughs) (laughs) Or never put it in a box. (laughs) Yeah. More things for the box. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So we sort of start building on this concept of, you know, using a dream or using the language of dreams or the symbolism in dreams Mm. to...
1: We we actually well, I don't want to give anything away. Let's just say that we use it. Yeah, we use it a lot. And and, and we both use it in very different ways. Oh, completely. Yeah. And completely. I actually challenged you about mm. it at the end of the series. Yeah, no, but my behavior does not change until the end of the series.
0: <laughs> I know, because I brought it up and was like, Look, <laughs> you do dreams very specifically. Have you thought about maybe Maybe not doing that? Maybe <laughs> trying for something different? And then, and I was so resistant.
1: Every time I tried, though, I was like, it just went back to square one. Yeah, I'd be like, I did something different. And He'd be like, that's not different. <laughs> Doesn't look different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I think uh, that just becomes kind of clear as things go on too.
0: So all that tells me is that now I should challenge you more in the Wolf star fic oh, that we're writing. You get at,
1: we're not talking about that right now. <laughs>
0: no, but we are talking about the process of, of, of recovery and yeah. as
1: writers using writing in recovery. That's very
0: true. So if it's something you're running and hiding from, mm. let's like, discover that a bit more. <laughs> you made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> like That's repeatedly. True. Oh,
1: God. Ugh, fine. <laughs> I'll be an adult. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. I know we're already avoiding that thing. Yeah. Podcasting
0: with this yeah, one. But as exactly. soon as I leave again, mm-hmm. you'll have to go back to writing. Well, yeah. But until then. <laughs> until then, we will continue reading and discussing this Yeah, thick. exactly.
1: More blood
0: is magic. It, is it strange to look back at the writing? Oh, we never talked about this, actually. How mm. much our
1: writing has changed. Oh, it's very strange. Yeah. My writing style has significantly, I think, improved, A eh, but just, like, changed overall.
0: Yeah, so for context, this fic is the first fic we've ever written. It's the first yeah. thing I've ever written. Mm. I mean, obviously, I've written, I, I write very much a lot of academic yeah. work.
1: I write a lot of abstract stuff, so this isn't the first thing I've written, but the stuff that I normally write is, like, incredibly nonlinear. Yeah. Um. Like... I I guess you would probably put it in like poetry category, maybe. But like, this is the first like linear plot mm. thing I've ever actually written with like characters and dialogue. Mm. <laughs> and, oh and, my
0: god! You know, and every single like two chapters, I'm like, please, can we outline? Please. I
1: know, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know what an outline is. Ugh,
0: I love having <laughs> my outlines. entire
1: creative process is just like pure abstract.
0: I know it's so freeform. It's terrifying. Mm. Mm. I never know what's going to happen in your chapters. There are two kinds of people. <laughs> I know. I love having an outline. I don't always stick to the outline, mm. but I try and keep like the major plot points in the right. future in my head so right. that I can work towards them. Mm. And you just like flail off into the
1: dark. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just flailing. I'm winging it. <laughs> yeah. Every single chapter. Every single chapter. I
0: know. And it's always like 12,000 words long. Yeah.
1: I can't stop myself. <laughs> I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. I have a lot of things to say.
0: Yeah, and, like, in excruciating detail. Mm. That's your
1: writing style now. Yeah. It's just, like, long-winded detail that's, yeah, like, yeah. painfully emotional. Yeah. No, that's, like, my whole aesthetic. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> so uncomfortable to read. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Why are you apologizing?
0: It's fantastic. I'm not saying it's, it's bad. It's so uncomfortable to read. No, no, no. But, like, yeah, but uh, same. Incred- emotional, incredible emotional depth and mm. detail is uncomfortable to read, but it's also incredibly relatable to some people and, mm. I think for the Remus you wrote, it's like beautifully on point. Mm. Whereas my chapters are like, I did this because I felt like it. Yeah. <laughs> which
1: is also very... I feel like that's the same as the Blood Magic series too. Oh, Damn it. <laughs> there are two kinds of people.
0: <laughs> Although my writing also changes significantly mm. from part one yeah, to definitely. later. I, I think agree. I improved... I mean, our, our writing is bad in part one. I mean, I would say it's bad. Yeah, better.
1: I think it's really... It's very basic. I feel like yeah. all we're actually doing is putting a plot down on paper. Well, I feel putting like putting trauma down on paper. Yeah, it's just a lot of trauma vomiting, and <laughs> yeah. um, which is really hard to edit. Yeah. and make readable. Th- yeah, and I think we do that thing where when we would try and go back and reread and edit it, we would just disassociate and like black out and have no idea what oh. we're looking at. Oh yes. Yeah. So it's like this is just what it is. So I'm sorry, the writing quality is not great in part one. No, but it
0: improves significantly. Mm. We we really do much better mm. as as the forest continues, but particularly in part three. Yeah, I think
1: so too. I really think my writing's improved a lot.
0: I think it's matured. Yeah. Which is,
1: you guys have that to look forward to. Yeah. (laughs) Let us know what you think. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, part one was rough. Yeah. Um, And then I think to say we started a Facebook page.
0: Oh, yes. We're supposed to say that. Yeah. Well, it's a Facebook group. Yeah. So we just started like a private group if people want to discuss things Mm. or, you know, just like talk about you know, what they, they thought about when we were doing the podcast or what they thought about the, the chapter or yeah. if they have questions, if they have constructive criticism, yeah,
1: discussions, discussions things that you guys want us to talk about or consider or anything like that.
0: We're super open to it. And yeah. I really hope to sort of foster this dynamic where we can talk about things like recovery.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and then how we use fictional characters or how we use writing and how we use all these techniques mm. as coping methods Yeah, and as definitely processing methods. Mm. I
1: think fan fiction is so powerful in that regard.
0: Oh, incredibly. Yeah. Incredibly powerful. I don't think you and I would have spent so much time with it if it wasn't so useful, so powerful, so relatable. Yeah,
1: no, I just would have went to more therapy. <laughs> Which is really expensive. Yeah, so this is free. <laughs> <laughs> free, but also less intimidating and yeah, more that's, accessible. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, okay. let me just trauma vomit on this Well, but Well, we right
0: trauma here. vomited for part one, and then we... We, well, we picked through it then. Yes, we like we worked through it. We wrote about recovery. Yeah. Which is great. It's like good shit. <laughs> it is that good shit. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's like good that good shit. It is that good shit. <laughs> totally. So, yeah. Okay. I think that's it for this chapter. And that's the end of the Rowan Grove. Yeah. Although we will
1: spend much more time there. Yeah. We come back to the Rowan Grove. Definitely. Many a time. <laughs> Okay, Okay, cool. Thanks for
0: listening. Bye.
1: Bye.